0: You're entering outer brightness. Hey Fireflies, this is the final installment of our conversation with Steve James, picking up where we left off in part two. Hope you enjoy.
1: Yeah, I think that's one issue, at least that I kind of had as when I was Latter day Saints, when I see Christians, you know, evangelicals or Protestants talking about inerrancy, it's more of the dictation theory, you know, the mechanistic transcribing of scripture where, you know, they see like every single letter as, as perfect. And so he just sits there and he's kind of an automaton you know, just <laughs> robotically writing every character, but sure. yeah, no, it's, it's much more organic. And I think it's, I, I think in terms of the actual process, I think that evangelicals and LDS agree that it's not just like a mechanistic, you know, transcription, that it is more organic and, you know, um, that it is God working through them. But I think maybe, and I'm not sure, maybe we would agree actually, but like the final product that it was actually written down and trans, you know, like given to the saints that is inspired and without error um and errors could come later through copies or whatever but but what god inspired through them and what they wrote and gave is is infallible and inerrant mm. so would you agree with that or would you um,
2: i mean that? i i'd say that that's if there is a time when scripture is inerrant that's the time it is when it's originally given i think my issue with that is that and you guys probably know this from studying hermeneutics is that you know uh, the moment we start to interpret words, we're bringing in our own milieu. We're bringing in our own schema. And so regardless if it's written perfectly, just the fact that we're reading it sort of makes it imperfect or adds imperfections to it. Um, but, you know, I think that, yeah, if there is a time when scripture was like perfect at an era and like, you know, Islam style, like the word of God, that's when it was when it originally came out.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. We could, we could talk more about, uh, and Lazarus, so I I've, I haven't gotten through his entire paper. I could send that to you if you're interested. But yeah, uh, I'd love to read it.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's pretty new to me as well. So that I'd be like, I'd definitely like to read it. Um, the other one we talked about was uh, was it Psalm 104 that I brought up? And this one is uh, this is one where you could parallel with with the hymn to Aten, which is a, a Egyptian you know god at the time. And uh, I can post the link, but there's there's websites you can find. Project Augustine is the one I found that has them just next to each other. And I mean, you can read them, and it's clearly—it's um, it, not like it's a word for word, but it's—it's it's just about just pretty darn close to the point where it's really hard to say that these didn't have at least a common source. Now, you know, most scholars would say either there's a common source that both of them got it from, maybe there was a, you know, uh, Egyptian influence, or that, uh, or that David was using Egyptian writing as a way, kind of, the polemic against it, which is an argument I hear a lot from. The evangelical side. Anytime we see similar language, it somehow becomes polemic. Which you know, we could get into that and why. Uh, why I kind of have my reservations. But what, what is clear is that it's uh the. It, it just seems impossible that they're that they came about independently. Yeah, it seems a- almost guaranteed that the one came from the other, or they both came from a similar source.
0: I'd I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on on why you disagree with the the concept of the of it becoming polemic.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, I I think that's often just kind of read into the text. Like like uh, the examples I'll hear uh, well, Psalm 82. You know, we read in Psalm 82, uh, Elohim stands amidst the Elohim. God stands amongst the gods. He tells them he's judged unrighteously. He banishes them to death. And a lot of Protestant out here will say, well, these gods aren't really gods. They're actually humans. And it's all just like polemic against that language. Or another example is uh, Isaiah 43.10 which we've probably talked about. uh, There's no God beside me, behind beside me, there is no other, um, which we know and we could find elsewhere in the Bible, that this is an expression of supremacy, not an ontological declaration. This is me saying, you know, I'm so great. There's none none greater than me. There's no one else beside me. It's not saying uh, my nature is such that there's nothing like me. And so, um, you know, and, and we see that language used in the surrounding cultures. But I'll hear people say, "Well, but the, when the when the Israelis Israelites used it, it was a polemic." When I don't see how they used it any differently, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I think the I think the argument for polemic comes from that the ways that the Old Testament prophets are interacting with the um, the literature and the teachings of of the religions uh, of the peoples around them um, they do so in a polemic way. They're arguing for, like you said, the supremacy of Yahweh. So that that's kind of where scholars argue that it becomes a polemic, right. That they're, they're arguing for, um, you know, and, and you, you know, Heiser, right. Heiser talks sure. about, um, you know, the, the, um, the view that Psalm 82 is talking about other divine beings, uh, mm-hmm. who are, who are divine because they're spiritual beings but they are created beings and yahweh is supreme supreme over them right which mm-hmm. the psalm itself says yahweh has taken his place uh in his council right he mm-hmm. he rules the council so yeah. Oh, yeah. even yeah. if you're going to so that, that I guess I guess just to to keep things short on that that's that's where the idea that it, it's polemical comes from which gotcha. is the writings of the Old Testament prophets are polemical against other gods
2: okay okay yeah that sounds like a topic worthy of its own uh, its own podcast as well. Any thoughts,
1: Matthew? So uh, Paul's been trying to trying to drag me into the Michael Heiser train, but I'm not oh, yeah. 100% convinced. Gotta <laughs> no, get like on I'm board, I'm, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I've started reading his stuff and watching his stuff and I have questions and And uh, he c- sometimes interacts with opposite views that, that are not how I viewed that passage. So it's kind of a little bit hard for me to get on board with what he's saying because mm-hmm. he's countering something that I don't, you know, I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. So why would I, you know what I mean? It seems like he's kind of like it's either on their side or my side. And I'm like, I'm not really on either. So I don't know. Sure. sure. So I struggle with it, but no, he's, he's got a really great uh, insights and and I do agree that the straightforward reading of the text is more persuasive for what he's advocating. But mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, that's, I find uh, just like in general, just, uh, just like a comment is like, I've, I found that, you know, when I was questioning and leaving into Christianity and like, you know, a lot of what I thought was like, well, Christianity, they don't even agree on all this stuff. You know, it's just confusion. It's mass confusion. Mm-hmm. They don't really agree on stuff, but I've actually found it very intellectually, you know, stimulating to know that, Hey, there's some, there's a lot of stuff that we agree on, but there's a lot of stuff that, we, that we're not so sure about or we disagree on. And we can have debates on it. And I, I don't know. I think it's great to be able to do that. So.
2: Fair. Okay. Um, well, I don't want to, I don't want to take things over too much. Did you guys have a specific uh, thing we wanted to get into next or uh, cover?
0: No, keep going with your outline.
2: Um, so let's see. The next thing I had was, you know, I, I mentioned a few other psalms. You've got Psalm 29 originally written to, to Baal Baal or Baal, um, Psalm 20. I mean, there's several that uh, biblical scholars have sort of connected to, to works that preceded them. I don't know how, how big a deal that is to the argument. Uh, but Article 4, I asked. Uh, so Article 4 says, we further deny that the corruption of human culture and language through sin has thwarted God's work of inspiration. So I read that to understand that despite cultural and language barriers, we should still be able to get God's word out of the scripture. If that, is, is that does that sound accurate like what it's what it's describing?
0: Uh, let me jump over to it and take a quick look. Yeah. So uh, Article four, we affirm that God who made mankind in His image has used language as a means of revelation. We deny that human language is so limited by our creatureliness that it is rendered inadequate as a vehicle for divine revelation. We further deny that the corruption of human culture and language through sin has thwarted God's work of inspiration. Yeah. So, um, this, this is just an app. First of all, it's an affirmation that, that, that God uses human language to speak to people, right? Um, he used the the, the human language of the authors of the Bible, uh, to inspire what he would have written. Um, <clears throat> that seems kind of straightforward, but, but so, like Matthew was pointing out, sometimes people have that uh dictaphone type type mm-hmm. view of how revelation and inspiration come came to the authors. Um but then there's also the, the denials here, which is denying that, that that cultural gap and that time gap that exists between us and the authors of scripture and the and the original readers and hearers uh of mm-hmm. what we found what we find in scripture uh is so great as to um make it impossible for God to get uh, his word and, and his intent across to us from scripture. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would deny that, um, uh, as a biblical studies guy, I think it's important that we, uh, we understand that when we're, when we're dealing with the Bible, we're dealing with, we are dealing with a cultural gap. We are dealing with a time gap. Um, like you were saying earlier, Steve, um, when we bring our ideas, uh, to it and we start reading it in English, you know, what the ideas that form in our minds, may be completely different than the mm-hmm. ideas that would have formed in an ancient Israelite's mind, uh, reading the Torah or, or sure. someone hearing Jesus preach, right. Um, mm-hmm. the sermon on the Mount. So, um, <clears throat> but this, yeah, this, this article just kind of denies that, that those, those difficulties, while they are difficulties, uh, are not so great as to be insurmountable in terms of, uh, us gathering what, what it is that God would have us know from scripture.
2: Okay. So the, the first thought that came to my head when I read that, and this might be a little curt, but why does it take a, a, ma- a master's degree or a grad school degree to understand some of this stuff? If if that language and culture is not a barrier, you know, why, why can't your average Joe, just reading it in any translation, get the gist of it? Why is it that we need to go and, and, you know, do all this exegesis and do all these breakdowns and, you know, rediscuss the schema of the ancient peoples?
0: Oh, well, I think... One, I would push back a little bit and say that I think any average Joe can read the Bible and, and and get the message that that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever <laughs> believes in him shall have eternal life and shall not perish, but have eternal life um, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world would be saved. Right. So so I don't think it's impossible for anyone to sit down and read the Bible and, and understand what what God's message is to us. Uh, are there greater insights that be that can be uh garnered from <clears throat>
2: Sure. Honey. Sorry, you're good.
0: That's okay. Hi. Say hi.
2: Hi. Okay, we'll get some snacks. <laughs>
0: um are there greater insights that can be gained from uh scholarship? Absolutely. I've I've loved the the studying that I've done. I don't think that it's necessary to go uh to seminary as I did um mm-hmm. to, to really understand the message of the Bible. Um, but there are certainly ways in which people uh, misinterpret and misunderstand the Bible um, to uh, you know great error and um, for that reason I think scholarship is important and it's always been uh, a very important part of the the Christian tradition um, you know throughout the centuries and that's one of the things that that draws me to it you know that it, the scholarship and and, um, and study that that faithful men have done throughout the the centuries, uh, ensures that the deposit of faith that was given, the 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 faith once for all delivered to the saints, um, doesn't get corrupted. That that you know anyone who's who comes along and claims to have another gospel or or uh, interpret things in ways that that aren't uh, accurate when when you look at what the scriptures say, um, can be countered by by those who study. So you know, faithful shepherds of the flock.
1: Yeah, I would just add that uh, the reformers they they wrestled with this too because you know their their whole philosophy was ad fontes, going to the source, because they felt that for centuries you know tradition had been seen as as a, a source of revelation alongside, well, a source of authority alongside scripture, mm-hmm. um, and so they wanted to return to the source and see scripture as the, the sole infallible rule of faith and practice, and so uh, they came up with a word that's complicated, but the meaning is not complicated. So it's called perspicuity. I'm sure you've probably heard of that.
2: I've Perspe- heard of it a time too.
1: Yeah. Perspicuity of scripture just means scripture is easy to understand in terms of its basic message. But when you get into the fine details and you know a lot of the, the many, you know, the stories, the parables, understanding, you know, the context, the, the historical background, the geographical, cultural background, that's all complicated and that requires a lot of study. And, and I think it's also the the work of, you know, when you say the, the church broadly, you know, like the, mm. the, body of believers to kind of dig into this and try to understand it uh, from all these different aspects and try to understand what the, the original intent God wanted us to understand. And so that's, that's hard part. And yeah, it, you know, there's somebody that could spend their whole lives, you know, studying one particular passage
3: <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, yeah. and publishing on it. And I don't think there's any uh, contradiction there because you don't need to, you know, to study one particular passage to understand what God wants you to know for your life. Uh, like when Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, not, not uh, (laughs) Paul Nurnberg. But uh, when the apostle Paul was, you know, talking to Timothy and chapter three, usually evangelicals quote verses 16 and 17, but the entire chapter, he's giving him instruction. You know, this is, it's contains a word of truth. It's trustworthy. You know, it's, it's, it's leading, leading you into the faith and it's what you've been raised up into as Mm -hmm. a believer, as a child even. And so that's kind of, you know, it's suitable for, for everybody, you know, uh, not just the scholars, you know, everybody can find spiritual truth and profit by it.
2: Yeah. I like that last sentence. I mean, I I think anyone can read any book of scripture, including ours, or even ones that I don't believe in and find something good in there. And I do think the central message of most scripture is apparent. Um, I do think that there are doctrinal issues that arise because of some of this ambiguity. And I think that that's a little problematic in terms of inerrancy, especially if we're in the business of excluding certain people based on those doctrinal views. Um, but again, that's kind of its own conversation. Um, it seems like we've already talked about cultural views as well. Like that, that's, that's not something that's going to inhibit. So even if Paul had a view uh, about what women's hair, what that entailed and what that was all about, why it should be covered, even though that's in the scripture, that doesn't necessarily taint the scripture in any way, even though it's his cultural view, you both would agree with that.
0: I think Heiser's view on this is interesting. <laughs> I'm still working through what, what, uh-huh. uh, I don't know what the, how the meaning of that whole thing is but um i
2: don't know if i've seen that i see talking about how the angels saw hair is something desirable and sort of like yeah. protection from them yeah i mean you know it, it it's easy for us to, to to think some ideas are so crazy and the, you know there's no way that someone would believe that but it's you know it it's just we need to remember it's not all that long ago that ideas like this were quite common i mean even in joseph smith's time ideas that people today would see as hokum were quite commonplace even amongst christians you know things like uh, dousing robots for example and i i think that actually helped because the environment wasn't so negative towards those things that joseph had that gift um it made him a little more accepted obviously not accepted enough because he was killed but it made him at least a little more accepted than, than he would have been today
1: um and there's and there's a lot of debate as to yeah whether you know, uh, the, the Bible has a lot of doctrinal teachings, and uh, you know, there's there's normative descriptions of, of what happened, versus mm-hmm. you know, you know uh, what is actually prescribed for Christians to follow through all time, and whether you know that same principle, that same idea, should be applied to every culture in their own culture. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so like the, some say that the modern equivalent of covering your hair to signify that you're married back then today would be wearing a wedding ring. You know, okay. so there's yeah. there's a lot of you know, interpretations that way that, mm-hmm. that there's a moral principle still being taught there, but it's applied different culturally. And that's kind of like what R.C. Sproul, I think that's kind of, uh, he's described that, but then he kind of ultimately still believed that the women ideally should wear head, you know, head coverings, at least if I remember correctly. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, they'll, they'll acknowledge that view, but a lot of times they'll still take the view that, well, you know, he says what he says, so maybe we should just follow that just to be safe, I guess. So sure. Yeah, so there's th- that passage in particular. Uh, I just brought that up in a group once, and man, like the first started flying. You know, like <laughs> people, people were jumping at each other, like you know, you know, women saying like you don't have no right for, to tell me what to wear, and I was like, whoa, yeah. I was just bringing
2: up the passage. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So
1: like, something like this can get, yeah, it can, I can uh, rouse some feathers.
2: Sure, sure. Well, and you know, we you're dealing with different cultures, different norms, you know, that kind of thing tends yep. to happen for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, that covers most of what I was going to be looking at. I know that we've we've kind of been around about way covered a few things. I have a few other uh, questions, but uh, I don't know if kind of where you guys were at time-wise or uh, if there's a topic that we haven't talked about either of you wanted to get into.
0: I'm, I'm good. However, uh, if you want to keep going with your stuff, we can do that, uh, or we could try to schedule a later time to go over more.
2: Okay. So, so one question I had was progressive revelation. It's an article 5 we affirm that God's revelation in the Holy scriptures was progressive. What does that mean? And has it ended?
0: Yeah. So the idea there is that um, God's revelation of, of himself and his plan for humanity uh, is progressive, right? Um, It's a, to me, it seems like a self-evident principle if you look at the old Testament and then move to the new Testament. Um, There's a lot more clarity there around uh, who the Messiah is and what, the intent of the the coming of the Messiah was. Um, So that's, that's the idea of of progressive revelation, right. Um, From something that's less clear to something that's more clear. Um, And so your question, why has it stopped? Um, You know, for me, the answer to that question again, is tied to. um, I'm not, I'm not coming from a place where. Uh, I think additional scripture is impossible, right? I'm not a lot of times the, the, the accusation that will be, uh, thrown, uh, at, at Christians by Latter-day Saints who, who are, um, kind of commenting on a Christian saying, well, I believe in a closed Canon. Mm -hmm. Um, they'll say, oh, well, you're, you're trying to put God in a box or you're trying to, you know, put a muzzle on God, you know, things like that. Um, My position is 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 no. I'm not I'm not trying to trying to do that. I believe God could speak, right? Who am I to tell tell God that He can't speak if He were to do so? Uh, my question is, has He spoken, right? Mm-hmm. And so, my, you know, for me, uh, the idea that He has spoken through Joseph Smith is it, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't I don't believe that that's what took place there.
2: Um, but so, it is possible that He could speak. And in future, inscripturation could happen, in your view? Um,
0: I don't. I, I I say yes, but I don't see a need for it mm-hmm. um, because you know, as the New Testament says, Jesus Jesus is the, the ultimate revelation of God, right? Um, once He comes and 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 dies on the cross and pays the penalty for sin, um, <clears throat> aside from the apostles, uh, whom He called to tell that story and that aspect of God's revelation to the world right? What, what more is needed? Mm -hmm. It would be the question that I, that I have. Okay.
2: I mean, I would say what's more, you know, we don't have a unity within Christianity. Clearly that's an issue that could be resolved. I think that, you know, when we look at history within the Christian worldview uh, you know, the, the, the standard argument is the Bible is what we need is the, that's the main standard. However, we've seen that people using the Bible have done things that were, clearly not Christian, you know, it's used to justify slavery here, he's used to, you know, justify misogyny there, whatnot, however you want to slice it, so clearly it seems there's something more needed, because if it were all that was needed was in there, everyone who reads it would come to the exact same conclusions, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case, um, you know, the fact that there's thousands of denominations, and then you look at things, uh, you know, in the book of Revelation, there's clearly going to be prophets who are uh, speaking in Israel or Jerusalem at those last days whether or not that's a prophet that like LDS would see, or if that's a more broad kind of preaching repentance type prophet, I don't know, but it seems like clearly there will be prophets. And the fact that we receive warnings against false prophets sort of implies that there will be real ones in the future as well. So those are kind of the, the, the points I would hit on that.
0: Matthew, anything to say there?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts uh, trying to, trying to focus it all. Um, yeah. I would agree with Paul that like, especially Hebrews one, it talks about how, Christ is kind of like the apex. He's like the the Zenith of everything that was leading up to him. And he was kind of the climax of all of history. You know, it says, you know, he's even Jesus said that that in terms of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist was the last one. So like you see this, this, this particular role of prophesying of Messiah, you know, is kind of completed. And so you do have like apostles and prophets in the New Testament, but they serve a different role where they're kind of instruments of revelation uh, and foundational and, and, uh, Christians also point to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 20. I think that's the one where it talks about, you know, the church is built on the, uh, apostles and prophets, you know, Christ Mm -hmm. being the chief cornerstone, but they see that their ministry as being a foundational ministry that, you know, once you've built that ministry, that foundation of the church, you know, we are the spiritual stones, as Peter says, that are built on Christ. So that foundation is laid in the teachings of the apostles and prophets. And so we are built upon what came before us. And God is building us up, you know, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. But we don't need to constantly have new apostles and prophets to, to, to keep building up that foundation. You know, that foundation was laid, you know, uh, like Jesus said, the, the Old Testament prophets were finished, you know, like all their work was done. And so it's the same with the apostles when their work was done. And, you know, they laid foundations for the church and the canon of the, the scripture was completed. Um, you know, that was no longer needed. So, yeah, it's progressive in the sense. I also wanted to bring up the fact that when we talk about scripture being progressive, we don't believe that, you know, what comes later replaces what came before, you know, all scripture is God breathed. And so when we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, a lot of times people will say, well, that's not in there. But when we look at all of scripture from the very beginning, God was very clear that there is no other God of this, of any kind of caliber, type or kind that he, like he is. You know, there are the, the Elohim and the Ben Elohim, but those are subordinate to God. You know, they're, they're clearly in subjection and subordination to God. So in terms of, of Yahweh, you know, there's no other God or being any, anywhere close to what he is. And there's none that came before or after him. And there's another, uh, there, there's an interesting passage. I think it's in second Kings. Uh, I should have looked it up, but basically says that any God that didn't create the world will be destroyed. And that's speaking mm-hmm. of like the gods of the nations, you know? So he's, mm-hmm. he's clearly saying that because God created, you know, Yahweh created everything. He owns everything. It's all his. And, and the, the gods that the other nations worship are, are, you know, they, they have no power. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at that, there's that foundation of one single God. And then when, and there's hints and shadows of, uh, I think you mentioned, you know, like, uh, the second power in heaven or something like that.
2: Yeah. Two powers in heaven. Yeah.
1: I mean, we, we also see too in the early rabbinical tradition where they, where they really talked about the angel of the Lord, which is mentioned in the old Testament mm-hmm. that's worshiped, uh, you know, as God, not just a messenger of God, but is, is God. And there are passages in the old Testament where, you know, the, I think it was the destruction of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah where it says, you know, Correct. like the, the, the fire, the fire came, came from, from hell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there,
2: yeah. there
1: are, there are hints and shadows there that, you know, that God is not um, abs- uh, absolutely simple in, in terms of being unipersonal so that mm-hmm. there, there are multiple personalities in God. And that's even, that's shown most clearly in the new Testament when we see that God has revealed himself uh, as father, son, and spirit. And so we take all of that together and, and that's where we call the doctrine of the Trinity um, and all of our doctrines, you know, like Paul, he mentioned, he mentioned he's a biblical guy. I'm more, I think more systematically. So we kind of butt heads sometimes when we, when we look at text. And that's why I kind of like Heiser yeah. and I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. So <laughs> I struggle with it sometimes.
2: I know oh, you sounded a lot like him just earlier. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you talk about, uh, about you know, uh, Second Kings. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I can understand how a person could assume Trinity in certain passages. I I, I still think it's read into them. Um, you know, that, that's my view. Uh, I think that people have a tendency to see plurality or they see unity of, of multiple persons and they automatically assume Trinity. Like anytime it says God is one, that must mean Trinity. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's more that God means one, but it doesn't have to be in this, uh, you know, highly philosophized ontological distinction that's super unclear and unknowable like i think it could be just as simple as uh the LDS view of a godhead it's similar to like a social trinity you know three separate beings united in a purpose and will that makes them that one god but uh i can also understand people seeing that throughout scripture so um okay yeah let me
0: i just like to Throw something in here, so you, yeah. so you kind of you kind of mentioned that that we don't have unity in Christianity, and that 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 uh, suggests a need for additional mm-hmm. uh, scripture. Um, I would just push back a little bit and and you know suggest that there's not unity within the Latter Day Saint faith tradition either, even though there's additional scripture. Um, yeah, you, know, you may there may be unity on on you know, the various groups believing in the Book of Mormon, um, but there's not unity in belief on the Doctrine and Covenants or the Book of Abraham or, um, you know, the rest of the Pearl of the Great Price. So, uh, and there's, you know, certainly not unity on on topics such as uh, polygamy and and some other aspects of of Latter-day Saint faith traditions. Yeah. Even um, within the church.
2: Yeah. I would agree with that. I think the the distinction. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. I'll I'll finish afterwards.
2: No, I would just say the only distinction is we're making different truth claims where the traditional Christian is claiming that the Bible is all that's needed. Whereas LDSR saying we need the Bible and these other scriptures and that's it. We're saying we need all that. Plus we need prophets plus we need an actual organization. So we're, we're not setting a bar that, you know, with the book of Mormon, we're out complete. We're never complete. And so I think that it's kind of a apples and oranges comparison, although I think it is an apt comparison to point out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see what you're saying. I, um, yeah. I'll just share quickly a, a, an experience I had on my mission um, that sure. kind of got, got me thinking on this um, because it's, it, you know, it's an often used critique um, by Latter-day Saints of, of Protestants, especially. Oh, there's so many nations, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was doing some street contacting on my mission uh, at Keleti Pai, Udvar in Buda, Budapest, that's the western train station uh, on the Pesh side of the river. And, and those were always great places to do street contacting because you had the trains coming in from the various parts of the country. Um, and then there was a metro station and a subway station just underneath. So there was lots of people traveling in and out. Um, there's always a great place to do street contacting. And I stopped a guy and I'm talking to him um, and I'm sharing with him, you know, Hey, I'd like to, to share a message with you about Jesus Christ and talking to him, you know, uh-huh. would, would you, would you be interested? He stops. Sure. So, you know, first thing you, you start in on to, cause you want to, you want to make sure you're getting, um, you're distinguishing yourself from, from uh, everyone else. Uh-huh. And and so you start in with like the Joseph Smith pamphlet, right. And, and, uh-huh. and his testimony, uh, his, his history. And so, you know, uh-huh. you read, I read passages from the Joseph Smith history pamphlet to this gentleman. Um, you know, and he's following me all, all, all the way along. He's like, Oh yeah. Young seeker, you know, praise to know which church to join. Um, and we get to the point where it's like, you know, the answer is none of them. Um, you know, and then he asked me, so what happened next? So, well, he started our church, you know, he's like, wait a minute. So the young boys confused that there's so many churches and too much competing and, and too much uh, disunity. And he prays to God. And, and the answer is start another church. Yeah, yeah. And he just, he <laughs> just walked away. It's uh-huh. you know,
2: like, that's yeah, ridiculous. Add, add so, another one to the confusion. I, I get that. Right. that that's, yeah.
0: So I, I would just say, you know, my point there is really just that, um, you know, we have, we have Latter-day Saints claiming additional scripture, um, and, and, and kind of seeking to be a corrective to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it certainly hasn't created unity. Um, so to the, to the ultimate question though, is, um, is the Bible enough and, and, and why don't we see unity? Uh, I would say that, you know, as I, as I moved, uh, out of the LDS faith and into broader Christianity, you know, I, I mentioned, I attended seminary. There were people there, uh from all different denominations um the <clears throat> the church and the seminary I attended are, are you know part of the broader american restoration movement so like alexander campbell uh, sure. and that movement um and but not ever you know there are people from many different denominations studying at cincinnati christian university because you know just for locality right uh mm-hmm. close uh, proximity to their homes um and so you know what i found there is is christian brotherhood and 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 sisterhood and fellowship uh, among people who maybe held some different doctrinal views and we discussed those in classes um but ultimately uh there's the unity of the faith of of, of christ crucified and and i found that within the broader christian world uh generally so
2: and and you think that would apply to lds too cuz like we clearly believe he was crucified
0: yeah i mean yes uh there there are some There are some very thorny doctrinal differences uh, that I think exist. Right. Mm -hmm. The nature of God is 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 chief among them. Um, You know, the the lectures on faith, um, you know, and and Joseph Smith, what he talked about, you know, understanding the nature of God um, is kind of like the first step. Right. Uh, according mm-hmm. to Joseph yeah. Smith, yeah, and you so, gotta be able to know God. Yeah. You know, um, I think any any systematic theologian would begin uh, their writing the same way, right? You, you, you begin with the doctrine of God, mm-hmm. um, and and Latter Day Saint theology says uh, some very different things than Christian theology about the nature of God. And mm-hmm. so, if 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 Latter Day Saint faith is revealed religion from God, progressive revelation, in addition to uh, clarify what has come before um, then those doctrinal differences are really important. And, yeah. you know, what I, what I see some Latter-day Saints do recently more is to try to downplay those, um, which mm-hmm. I, to which I say, you know, that's, um, that's inconsistent with the way at least that Joseph Smith viewed it and the writer of the lectures on faith viewed it. Um, so yeah, that I, I would just say that there's, there's some very significant doctrinal differences. Um, you know, I mean, how, maybe just ask you the question, right? Like um, do you think Trinitarians worship a different God than you worship?
2: You know, I could understand the idea conceptually, but I don't like to play that game because it it, it puts God into the, just the realm of ideas. You know, it, it puts this idea that there's this Trinitarian God that exists and there's this Mormon God that exists. And there's two different gods when in reality, there's one Jesus Christ. And it's a matter of some of us are, you know, more accurate than others in how we view them. And that's, you know, is what it is in terms of the differences. I think most of it's metaphysical. Like, I think that if if Joseph Smith taught all the same theologies that he did, but never claimed to be a prophet and claimed that he was doing this through, you know, exegesis or whatever other means, I think that Christianity would be very different today. They would have accepted him. He wouldn't have been killed. You know, we see a lot of things that Joseph taught that are kind of coming back to Christianity today. One example is the suffering savior. I mean, for centuries, uh, the idea of God's aseity sort of precluded him from suffering. You know, in other words, God can't suffer because he can't be moved upon by anything else that makes him, he's immutable. So uh, the, the other term is impassable. God is impassable. He can't have act, be acted on in any way. Whereas Joseph taught the opposite, that God was extremely passable and that uh, God's aseity did not prevent him from that type of suffering. And we've seen Christianity sort of come around to that view now, but at the time Joseph dropped it, it was just insane and out of the park. Um, And I think we see a lot more of that kind of stuff. Maybe that's a whole other topic for another day, but there's a great video. If you go to LDS Truth Claims, there's the YouTube channel and it's just a lesson, uh, some kind of class that uh, the professor gives and he just touches on a lot of these, but I think it's episode, it's called uh, Criticism from Theology or something like that. But there's a lot of things that Joseph did from the theological side that resolve some of the paradoxes we find in traditional Christianity that answer some of the questions that traditional Christianity hasn't really clearly answered. Um, And I think that that's where the distinction kind of lies because like, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. You believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that enough makes both of us Christians, but there are, like you say, differences. I just say they're more metaphysical than they are uh, scriptural, if that makes any sense.
0: So do you think that different views of the nature of God affect how we worship.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, no for sure I think that it would be hard for me to worship if I didn't think God was knowable. If I didn't think God was tangible. If I didn't think God has been in my shoes, it would be really hard for me to worship that. because It would be more like a, you know, an idea, I guess. It would be more like a a concept that's out of reach. Um and so yeah, it would definitely affect my worship, but you know, I think uh you look at the like a Baptist versus a Methodist versus a Protestant or versus a Oh, I don't know, uh, you know, a Catholic or Eastern Orthodoxy. Look at all these. There's different types of worship. There are slightly different Jesuses being taught. And I don't know where the line is drawn between, oh, your Jesus is too different from ours to be excluded from the group, if that makes any sense.
0: Matthew, okay. thoughts?
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think the, the difference, though, is that we, well, most of Protestant history, they've accepted at least the first six ecumenical councils.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and then the seventh is kind of up in the air. There's people that disagree with that because that's, that's on the use of icons. I think go oh. whack personally, but, <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's because I'm a ref- you know, reformed guy. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, the first six ecumenical councils, historically, the Protestants all, you know, reformed Lutherans, Catholics, they all agreed on, you know, those fundamental doctrines, like you know, the unity of the es- essence of God, you know, the tripersonality of God, the hypostatic union, where Jesus is mm-hmm. a divine person. But he is has both divine and human natures united to his person inseparably, uh, but you know without confusion, without uh, without mixture. So all these different things about God and Christ were you know like basically agreed upon you know, across the board. Um, that kind of started changing later. You know like you have oneness, you have um, Socinians, you have you know various different people groups that have started to crop up in the past few centuries that are kind of just repackaged. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, heresies from the early church. Mm-hmm. So, um, subordinationism. You know, Arianism. So, yeah, it's so. You know, I, and I would personally consider those who embrace a lot of those really aberrant teachings to be, you know, really in danger. You know, because I think when you start picking up, picking apart a lot of those early, you know, th- those those beliefs about God. You know, like making them separate beings, then it really causes division. Um in you know, in God, uh, like the, the Aryan controversy was that they believed that there was a time when the Son was not, that he was a created being, that he was subordinate to God the Father. But they saw that as making uh, Jesus not truly divine because divinity is not something that can be conferred, you know, like you're either divine by nature, or you're not, you know, we you know, believers become participants in the divine nature, but they're not by nature divine. So when you say that Jesus was, there's a time when Jesus was not, or there was a time when Jesus was not God that they saw it as well, that, that means he's not truly God. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, there's a lot of these issues that I think that are important. Um, we've kind of, we've kind of gone far and astray from the text of scripture, but, but I think that's those early councils going back to that, they appealed to scripture for, these things, you know, you can't find homoousios in scripture, but I think you can clearly, you know, teach the doctrine of homoousios in scripture. Um, so they, okay. it's 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 when it came later, you know, I think that like um, like I said, the, the Seventh Ecumenical Council, they started talking about icons being windows into heaven and means of grace, and I don't see that in scripture, and that's that's kind of more appealing to tradition, and that started getting farther away from what scripture actually taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you see more additions to you know, um, like indulgences and things like that. And that's that's why the reformers wanted to get back to scripture because they said there's all this other stuff, you know, we just got to strip that out, get back to what what's core of the faith. And they re examined everything and they said, well, these first councils they're they're pretty good, you know, <laughs> like they mm-hmm. we can we can find scriptural support for them, but not these other things. So, mm-hmm. okay. anyways, I, I was kind of re- re- reiterating what I've already
2: said, but yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good breakdown,
0: yeah. And I guess I, w- I would push back just a little bit on. On you steve like you know when you when you say that you know there there seem to be a lot of things that are coming around where christianity is coming around to lds views that's a that's a very common um lds apologetic tactic that i that i mm-hmm. used to see a lot when i was lds um and you know it's it's really the reason why i, I personally dug into michael heiser's scholarship because i mm-hmm. saw a lot of, a lot of latter-day saints saying see divine council it's just like our council in heaven but when you really dig into the details, it's it's really nothing like the latter day saint council in I mean, heaven.
2: I, I wouldn't say nothing um, like it. I mean, I, I think it fit pretty well. I think mean, we land in different places because Heiser's a trinitarian and I'm not. But I don't know. But I look at that and I think, wow, well, I mean, how is this guy not a Mormon kind of thing?
0: Well, I mean, it it, it is very different. The council in heaven and in, in um, you know the LDS view and, and LDS scriptural view is is all about free giving men free agency, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's not at all a part of the council of he- in heaven as you see it in the Old Testament, um, and so there are you know I think I think Latter Day Saints are often want to see some similarities and say see that that's Christianity coming around, um, mm-hmm. but like I say when you when you dig into the details um, you know it's it's not really the same like like they'll they want to say well Heiser Heiser says that there are these other divine beings so that supports our view of you know uh, intelligences and the preexistence, uh, eternally mm-hmm. existing as Joseph Smith taught. Um, but that's not really at all what you see in the old Testament with regards to the B'nai Elohim and angels and demons. And, um, even what you see, you know, outside in the ancient Near Eastern literature, you know, first Enoch that, um, you know, informed so much of Heiser's scholarship. And so it just, um, I don't know, I guess just that, that, that would be my, you know, kind of gentle pushback is, mm-hmm. is, There may be some similarities, um, but what Joseph is teaching is very, very different than, than kind of what you see in in Christian scholarship.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think we probably disagree on on where that literature goes, but I think it's fair to say, I mean, obviously Heiser hasn't joined the church, so clearly he's not completely sold on the idea that the way he's finding is, uh, shadows of the restoration. I don't know that he's really familiar with the church, frankly. He's written one article that addresses us that I know of, and it was, uh, not his, not his best work. It was good, but not not as much attention to detail that I think he could have given. But uh, anyway, deviating from Heiser, it sounds like we need to have a Heiser uh, a Heiser thread in our group and uh, get some of these Christians on board. Um, you know what? We've really covered most of what I've got. And, uh, you know, you guys have been great giving me like three hours. Um, is there any, any final things we want to do, I guess? And then we can uh, coordinate uh, later on at another time, perhaps.
0: Yeah, so... Um... I guess I would just ask you what what what's stopping you from accepting the, the true biblical Jesus and being saved?
2: Oh, oh I'm totally there, man. I'm I'm with the true biblical Jesus. And I you know, I think that we just talk past each other when we when we look at it that way. You know, the, the thing that keeps me from being a Protestant, um I, I don't want to say this the wrong way. I push
0: I push pretty hard. You can you can Yeah, speak I mean
2: the, the, the thing that keeps me away from Protestants uh, in general is Protestant people, the way that they, that they treat me, uh, the way that they treat other Latter-day Saints. You guys are obviously exceptions to that, but I look at, uh, you know, you guys have seen it in the group, some of the behavior of these people. And I think, okay, if that's what their religion is, give me the opposite of that because I don't want to end up like that. Um, and you know, you could say the same about Latter-day Saints too. And so I'm not I'm saying all Protestants are bad people, but, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a product of that diversity within Protestantism. I mean, there's a lot of people who hold really extreme views who are call themselves Protestants who are really kind of insulated from the larger academic community of evangelicals. And yet they seem to kind of be driving the boat a lot of the time, which worries me. In terms of theology, I can't believe in a God that's unknowable. I can't believe in a God that's incomprehensible. I can't believe in a God who um, isn't logically coherent. And I'm, and I am completely forced to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, and that that has to be an actual, not just a title, not just uh, an an inscription of his position, but a real thing. And I I get that because of the way he speaks with the father, because of the way he speaks about the father. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know of any traditional Christianity that really accepts Jesus as literally the son of God. That's, that's subordinationism and, and heresy, as far as I understand I know some will say he's the son of God kind of entitled, or maybe one of his, he's got the hypostatic union and one of his natures is, and what's not, that just doesn't do it for me. You know, to me, I want the real actual son of God. And this is the only place I found mm. that. So that's I mean, kind of where I stand.
0: Isn't that what the book of Mormon says? The son of God because of the flesh.
2: Oh no, but yeah, we could talk about that too. But the book of Mormon, you know, it talks about Jesus being the father through salvation and, and that's clearly LDS doctrine. Um, you know i think that uh, there's that one passage you're probably talking about at the it's of pindi speaking and that that's, that really deserves its own literary criticism the book of Mormon itself needs more literary criticism we're we're in the very very beginning front end of that thing but uh you know the the Jesus Christ of the restored gospel is the son of God and that that's who i believe in and uh if you can find me a traditional christian church that believes that i might be intrigued to more intrigued at least to, to take a look, but I can't, I can't do with anything less than
1: that. You know, it's uh that's actually interesting because recently I've been diving into like historical more, a more historical view of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in modern Protestantism, we've kind of gone away from that. Um, even since the reformers, because they looked in the past and they saw, and they agreed with a lot of what they said. And actually like the historically, the church saw Jesus as truly being begotten of the father, but mm-hmm. We have to understand the fact that God is eternal, you know, he's uncreated and unchanging in eternity past. So when we talk about Jesus, Jesus being begotten of the father, um, we have to understand it somewhat analogically because he has eternally existed as the son. And if he's eternally existed as the son, he's been eternally begotten as the son. So he, mm-hmm. he really is begotten by the father he's generated by the father but it's an eternal generation it's an eternal begottenness so there's not a a specific moment in time where we can Mm -hmm. say he was unbegotten and then became begotten so he's begotten Mm -hmm. in eternity past and it's always happened you know he's always being generated by the father and his his divine essence is being generated you know by the essence of the father but they're not two essences but one essence Mm -hmm. and i've I've been diving into thomas aquinas when he really gets into this stuff and it's like kind of mind-blowing but he kind of he kind of analogically compares it to the intellect so um, and it's not too far afield from what scripture says of Jesus you know he says he's the word and so when you think of the word like the logos like the word is something that represents an idea or a concept and so Jesus is he's rep- he's a perfect representation of the father and Aquinas compared it to a thought in your mind so the intellect So if you have a thought about yourself of who you are and what you you look like, you know, how you act and things like that, that's a concept in your mind. It's an imperfect concept, but it's a concept nonetheless. And it's something distinct from you, but it's also in you. Mm. And so Aquinas made this comparison where he said the, the father, you know, he has the fullness of the divine nature and he has a concept of himself, but it's a perfect concept. And it's a generated concept that's also within his same nature. That is being generated, you know, with the same nature as well. So they're distinct persons, but they're still within the same mm. essence of God. And it gets pretty, it gets pretty, it gets pretty crazy, but it made me had to re reevaluate what I thought of because, yeah, I kind of thought a father and son is more like in terms of just love between them, you know, like mm. well, the father loves the son like a son and the son loves his father. And, and, you know, but there's not an actual begetting. But mm. historically, they saw. This, the monogamous the os or monogamous os, you know only begotten son they they saw that as like an eternal so so it's a begottenness but it's an eternal sense not in terms of like a like because we you know when we're creatures we we create a son there's a moment in time when you can say i had no son but mm-hmm. in god there's no time when god could say i had no son you know he's always had a son so it's it's a begotten but but without change and without uh you know coming into existence Mm. So it's it's pretty crazy. Um yeah. if you want if you want like the easier version, I just finished a, an audiobook Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett and he talks about this how like, you know, the the modern church's uh concept of the Trinity has kind of been watered down a little bit, you know, and we make it more about social issues, like we adapt the Trinity to combat, you know, feminism or whatever, mm. you know, rather mm. than like going to the going to the the sources and how the fathers read scripture and saying, okay, how did they read it and let's just understand what scripture says rather than trying to take the Trinity and say how can I use this as a battering ram versus this social group or this injustice mm-hmm. or whatever, you know? So it's a really great book. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's like uh might be like 10 or 12 hours, but I listened to it a little bit faster. So uh, on audible, but I'd really recommend that. Yeah.
2: Good. And you know, Paul, you mentioned the guy, Jared Anderson before, and then there was another name you mentioned that I was going to steal from him. Oh. Uh,
0: in what context did I mention it? You'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm old. Yeah.
2: So. No, I know. And, it, and it's, you know, it's blanket for me too. I'll have to see it when I go back and watch the video or I'll remember it. But, uh, I like to gather names of people to read and, uh, you know, I was it a Christian the scholar that I was referencing. I, or was I, it? I think so. I think so. Yeah.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, I don't know. We'll go back and watch it again. Yeah. Uh, okay.
0: Yeah. So Steve, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. you know, as I said, we, we try to be a place where Latter-day Saints would feel comfortable coming on Latter-day Saints would feel comfortable listening to us. Um, you know, can certainly appreciate, uh, when you push back gently on me and, and and hope you know that, uh, that everything, even when I asked you about uh, coming to the true Jesus was good natured. Um, uh, I, I certainly can appreciate what that feels like. Um, you know, I, I like you, I grew up LDS and I, I grew up in, in, in a period of time when, uh, when, uh, you know, So let's just put it this way. So I, I left on my mission the same year that the Southern Baptist convention held their, uh, their big meeting in Salt Lake city. Right. And they were going door to door in in, in Salt Lake city and and Latter-day Saints were kind of up in arms about it. Who are they to come here and, and knock on our doors and I'm going out on splits with the missionaries, knocking on other people's (laughs) doors.
2: Who are they to do exactly what we do? (laughs) Right.
0: Exactly. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, and I, and I married into a Southern Baptist family. So, you know, there's certainly, I've certainly been through that, that journey of uh, feeling like, uh, you know, the broader Christian world didn't accept me as a Latter-day Saint. Um, but, uh, you know, hope you can appreciate also that, 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 you know, that we feel there are important differences and important uh, theological um aspects of LDS teaching that 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 are problematic from a from a historical standpoint from a from a theological standpoint i think it's mm-hmm. you know we could have a broader conversation about the question i asked you you know does does our our view of the nature of god affect our worship because i think it does in important ways yeah. um so i think it's, I, I think it is important to know uh the one true god um because that's eternal life as jesus said so but we appreciate you coming on you know i, I kind of pitched this to you earlier in the week uh uh kind of out of the blue and you were willing to come on and, and have a conversation and i hope i hope this is another uh example of us modeling what it is to have respectful uh conversation and dialogue with people yeah, this as well. uh,
2: yeah no i I really enjoyed it you guys both did a great job of being respectful making me think asking good questions i feel like uh you know me personally i got a lot out of this conversation yeah hopefully contributed something as well And uh, yeah, a good three hours long. Hopefully, someone gets something good out of it. (laughs) uh, I certainly enjoyed your company, both of you gentlemen.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you, guys. Love you, guys, uh, and uh, take care.
0: Likewise, take care. You too. God bless. The Faith After Mormonism Conference is an annual conference that provides encouragement and insight for people leaving Mormonism to explore a new faith home in historic biblical Christianity through speakers workshops exhibitors and individual interactions you will receive helpful resources and meet others on a similar journey this year the featured guests are going to be the folks from Adams Road Ministry. Adams Road is a Christian nonprofit ministry dedicated to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through song and testimony. Its members are former Mormons who have been brought into a saving relationship with Jesus through the grace of God. This year, there will be two events. The North event will be held at Alpine Church in Layton, Utah on September 10th and 11th, and the South event will be held September 24th and 25th at Centerpoint Church in Orem, Utah. For those of you who are in Utah, I encourage you to make a trip either to Leyden or Orem to these events I think you'll be greatly blessed by them and I just wanted to share that information with you.
1: We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an
0: email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to Outer Brightness wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're benefiting from our content, please write a review to help us spread the word. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that notification bell. Music for Outer Brightness is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and Adams Road. You can learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at AdamsRoadMinistry.com.
3: And hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless Compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where He bore sin And now I have the righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Because of the cross Some demand a sign And some seek to be wise But we preach Christ crucified A stumbling block for some The foolishness of God But wiser than the wisest men The power of the cross See, I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Through which the world has been Crucified to me And I to the world So I take up my cross And follow where Jesus